two. Hey, yo, what up, party peoples? We back at it again, man, on this Tuesday. You know you got your crew with you. I'll be your man, Big Pee Wee. That's Big Les, DJ Ron C, and Jay Tasha in the building, man. And um, I'm excited about this one, Big Les. I'm going to have to say, and I think DJ Ron C is too, man. Man, you know I'm telling you, man. I'm, I'm hyped, man. Excited is not a big enough word. I mean, I'm not even going to mince words right now because we're talking about somebody who is a game changer, who has been elevating the culture, reinventing his artistic enhancement on the DJ tip, and truly has been taking the world by storm, keeping everybody sane during this pandemic in a way that you can't even imagine, like to the point from our parents to the millennials, and his body of work is crazy. Yes. Can we, shall we give the people just a little taste of what he's been doing? Uh, let's bring him into the building and then we can do that. All right, let's get do that. All right, man, Spin Room fam, put your hands together, make some noise, and give it up for our friend, DJ Cassidy. Right. In the building. Hey, guys. How's it hey, going, Dubai. my man? How are you? Everybody is doing good. Yeah, we are honored and excited to have you here. Like, I'm ready to party. I know Pee Wee's ready to party. Ron C wants to get all up in your DJ business. It's like- My honor to be here, Les. I'm, I'm really excited. Thank you, thank you. I just, I can't believe that my little post was like, and I didn't even finish it because I was going to do this whole big thing and that you DM'd me and I was like, oh, staring at the screen like he knows me. Oh my God. <laughs> Look, I want to tell you something. It's, it's crazy for you to say that because I grew up watching you and all those rappers who were part of that show, I saw by watching you. It really felt like a Rap City reunion. And I just was like, did he do the show for me? Because that's how it felt. <laughs> and so for you to, I don't know, I guess be surprised that I saw your, you know, post. I'm surprised that you saw my show and posted it. You know, I grew up, I was 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, watching Rap City like, like a student. And so all those people that were involved in Pass the Mic Volume 2, they really were my heroes as a kid. And, you know, where was I going to see them? There were only a couple places on TV, and you were one of them. Yeah. Thank you, That's Jesus. Perfect. But I, so I, I posted volume one, two, and I made sure that my parents got to see it because, oh, and they just was like, who is this kid? And how does he know everybody? And wow, Smokey looks good. And, you know, it was just, you brought light to so many people of so many different generations that, we got to tell our audience your history. We got to, we got to score on Pee Wee. You definitely got to score me. So where, um, you tell me where you want me to begin. So, um, I, like, uh, I want to ask this question first. Yeah. Because I'm loving the background. Is this a real background? Are you actually in a living room or is this like just a screensaver of a background? <laughs> this is very much my living room. Yes. And Hold on, I gotta turn my volume up. This is very much my living room. And, um, and this is the coffee table. And the turntables were never on the coffee table. Um, I have disrupted my living room for several months. Um, and I think my girlfriend finally, um, um, she, she finally understands why. Um, and um, I don't really DJ sitting down too often either. You know, it just, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, this is where I set it up. And at first it was so awkward, but now, I don't know, I'm kind of used to it. Kind of comfortable now. So let's jump into it, uh, DJ Cassidy. Once again, thank you, my brother, for taking the time out your day to hang out with the Spin Room crew. Uh, let's take it back to the beginning, from day uno, because I know that you started um, in music at, what I think you said, like 10 years old or so? I... Um... Like you wanted your turntables at 10. Yes. For my 10th birthday, I asked for turntables and a mixer. It's the same turntables that are still over there. That is crazy. Yeah. And, and I'm going to say this because I know me at 10 years old, um, I wasn't thinking about turntables. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll take you back about five, six years before that. Okay. 
So this is a memory I have, which some people say I've conjured up this memory through telling the story, but there's no way that I could remember something when I was three or four. I feel like I remember it. So my grandmother used to take me for walks through Central Park, and she's still alive. She's 93. Oh, that's and a beautiful blessing. She'd bring me back to her house, which was not far from the park, and I'd be sleeping in the stroller. So she'd put me in the other room to sleep it out. So I remember waking up in the stroller one day and there was a movie on TV and it was called Breaking. And I can't imagine four-year-old me saying, Mama, can you record that movie? I don't know how it happened, but I became obsessed with Turbo and Ozone, like obsessed. And... I would spend a lot of time at my grandmother's and I would go into her drawers and I would get her scarves, you know, like her, her fancy silk you know, scarf. And I'd wrap them around my head like turbo and ozone. So this is like my first hip hop experience as a child. And I don't know um, how she knew to record it, but she recorded it. And my parents bought me the soundtrack on vinyl. I still have the vinyl from then, Breaking One and Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. And, you know, I would try to break dance. Never quite figured that out. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, that was my um, earliest memory. And then soon thereafter, I became obsessed with Run DMC, obsessed. So I don't know how one led to the other or who exposed me to it, but, you know, somehow I was. And... Um, I just, you know, looked at the three of them run DMC, Jam Master J as like, just like superheroes, you know, they were just larger than life to me. And I still do think of them like that. And so, you know, that was really the beginning of my obsession with hip hop. And, um, I rapped as well because who did it? Right. And, um, <laughs> I was better at that than the break dancing, so it was, you know, I was getting there. And, but um, I wanted to, um, I wanted to DJ. And so, I don't know, you know, how but, that's- But let me, let me ask you this, DJ Cassie. You said you wanted to DJ after watching uh, Beach Street. How did- Breaking. Break break I mean, breaking, I'm sorry, breaking. Um, so you saw Jam Master J. And so that- he was your introduction to turntables? Well, I mean, the only DJ seen in Breakin was really Ice-T. I don't know if you remember, but he DJed right. in Breakin 1. He rapped in Breakin 2. It should have been Beach Street because I was a New Yorker, you know, but that it's wasn't on HBO that day. So, so, so it was Breakin. Um, had it been Beach Street, it would have been a whole different thing, but actually not. It had been the same thing, really. And um, so, you know, I don't know how DJing came in, I guess in break-in and then Jam Master J. And then, you know, as I got older, eight, nine, 10, I think the movie Juice just kind of solidified it because nice. who didn't want to be a DJ after, you know, after that, you right. know, that was just and Omar Epps just like made you want to be that. And that soundtrack to Juice was just stupid. It was the greatest. And speaking of sitting while DJing, he sits in the scene, um, you know, when he makes, he makes the mix, which I always found interesting. I was like, are you sitting? Because no one sits. Right. <laughs> but now I'm sitting. So it's, you know, full circle. How much of New York has shaped who you are as a DJ? And we'll get to you being a fashion guy as well. And were you ever interested in doing the whole DMC competition, scratching and spinning all the other stuff like DJs. I don't, um, no, I was never like a scratch master. Um, I don't know if I didn't put my mind to that because I wasn't great at it or maybe, you know, I don't know. I was more concerned with rocking the party mm -hmm. and they were always two different things and they are two different things. Yes. So I was less obsessed with the winners of the championships and more obsessed with Kid Capri, you know? And um, so that's the path I took. Um, and so I asked my parents for turntables for my 10th birthday and 
you know, pretty much the greatest gift of all time and the rest is history. Absolutely. I don't think they ever expected anything from it. And neither did I. I mean, this was, you know, a few decades before Scratch Academy and before there were DJ sections in every Best Buy mm -hmm. and before every little kid knew what it was to be a DJ, obviously before Serato and computers and, you know, so this was not like a game plan. It was just, you know, doing it because I loved it and because I wanted, you know, to take part in the culture in some way. So, um, you know, there was no really big dream. In fact, all I ever wanted was for my favorite rappers to know me. I swear to God, that that's what I wanted. I mean, when I was 10 years old, I just wanted to know Tretch. That was the next, that was the next phase after Run DMC. I thought Tretch was the coolest person to ever walk the face of this earth. And I remind him of that every time I see him. Um, Isn't it crazy though, like when you actually meet your heroes, that you could have either experience. They could either, it could be the most disappointing thing in the world or it could be the best thing that's ever happened to you. It's, 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 it's the inspiration behind Pass the Mic. So as we talk about that, I'll tell you that, but that, that what you just, said was the inspiration my relationships with my heroes and me wanting to try to give that feeling to other people that was precisely the inspiration and i've never met an idol of mine in hip-hop who let me down no. ever ever that's beautiful that's dope. i was never a sports person you know um i only cared about michael jordan because of the sneakers i never i never watched any kind of sports and i saw michael jordan once when i was 12 in a hotel um and I asked him to sign a pair of sneakers and he said no. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, I've heard that from many people. Um, but my idols in hip hop, um, I've never been let down. I, 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 you know, I can't think of one, to be honest with you. That's dope. That's really dope. So let's fast forward. And you're in New York now and you rocking a club in New York. And this big name person is sitting at a booth at the club. And he's liking what you're playing. And this guy ends up being Sean Puffy Combs. Well, there were quite a few steps from age 10 to um, 18 or 19 to get to that club that he would even be at. Right. But it was the beginning of me getting a little traction in the nightlife of New York City. Kind of as I just kind of went over the curve of my little small world of school and little um, underage parties and finally breaking out into the cool scene. Right. But not yet at a point where I'm doing like every hot night at every club, like getting one here and there and starting to break into it. And so I was at this club in New York City, Lotus, which was around for a long time, but it had just opened and I really wanted to play there. So I took like a whack night and it was pouring rain and I was in like the downstairs whack room of the whack night. <laughs> and it was kind of empty. I remember it being empty. And, um, you know, I was playing like the soul classics of the 70s and 80s and he just kind of appeared. I didn't realize he was there. And, you know, at that time, you know, this was like, you know, Diddy runs the city. I mean, he just was the energy of New York. You know, he was the energy of nightlife in New York. Um, and I don't mean even just him as a person, but him and the music and the culture that he created really was the energy of New York City. Right. It was like Bad Boy and Rockefeller and like what they represented was just everything. You took that away from New York City and the nightlife you know, declined, really, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, so he came up to the dance floor and he started dancing, as I remember, really kind of by himself. And um, 4 a.m. came and the manager of the club came up to me and he was like, I assume you want to, um, you know, keep going, right? And I said, <laughs> yeah. And so, I, you know, um, I remember playing till like five in the morning. And so wow. he walks out and he walks past the DJ booth and he says, he's like, where's the DJ? And I say, I'm the DJ. 
And you know, when I was 18 or 19, I looked like I was eight. Right. And so he was like, who's been here all night playing these classic records? And I said, me. So he gets a napkin, he writes down his number and says, call me tomorrow. So I was going to college at the time, um, NYU, and mm -hmm. I was a freshman. So I went to class and I was um, essentially procrastinating because I didn't want to call. I was so nervous. Like I did not know what to say, you know, if I got him. And I called him and I got a voicemail and it said, God is the greatest, beep. And I was like, that gave me no time to prepare what I was going to say. <laughs> so I basically left the worst message I've ever left in my life. I thought it was over at that point, but it was still cool. You know, gave me his number. It was his voice. It was him. Maybe I'll see him again. Anyway, went to class, left, and I got a message from someone who worked for him saying to call back. And I ran home. I still lived with my mother. And I said, he called me back, called me back. And I locked myself in a room and I called and I said who I was and they put him right on. I mean, right on, like couldn't believe it, you know? And he was like, yo, playboy. He's like, he's like, you killed that last night. And I'm like, thank you. Like not knowing like how to, you know, how to be cool on the phone. And he was like, um, how old did you say you were? And I was like 18 and he's like, and you're a white boy, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, how do you know how to play music like that? And I go, I don't know. Like it was the most, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, you play those records like you live them. And I was like, thank you. And so he said, I'm throwing a party for the MTV awards next week. I want you to DJ. Dope. And the rest is history. It's crazy. And the rest is kind of history. <laughs> wow. I mean, wow. That's crazy. So with that said, what is your history in knowing all of these soulful classics? Like what's going on in your house from the age of five to eight to 12 to so, 15? So, um, you know, my mother loves music, but didn't play music in the house like that. My dad did, but he was more of like a rock and roll guy. And when it came to soul, it was like Bob Marley, Superfly soundtrack, James Brown. But not the <laughs> records that went on to play like that. So, you know, his love of music was there, but how I got to that music was really through hip hop. So now we're going back again. So when I got my turntables, I was very closed minded. Mm. And I think a lot of my friends were. It was like, if you love hip hop, you hate everything else. Right. And we weren't quite. Um, um, we weren't quite um, evolved enough to know that that really wasn't what it was about. But, you know, as a young kid, you're like, if you love Naughty by Nature, you got to hate Kurt Cobain. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so that's what I did. I was like, I don't want to listen to anything else. But then that was the next step. So then in my discovery of DJ culture, now I started to try to learn. So then I discovered Grandmaster Flash, Africa, Bambada, and Cool Herc. So I really came um, kind of into them later. So now I'm like 11, 12, and now I just think they're like, you know, gods. And seeing the videos of like Cool Herc in the Bronx and the convertible with the speakers coming out. So everything I thought when I was, you know, younger about Run DMC, now I'm thinking about the three of them, that they're like, they're like Michael Jordan to me. They're like Superman, Spider-Man, Captain America. And I never watched any of that. So, and in researching them, I realized that they weren't playing hip hop because there was no hip hop. They were creating hip hop music by playing everything. And so that led me to the soul music of the 70s. And so through discovering, you know, the soul, funk, disco and R&B of that era, um, I fell in love with it. And oddly enough, that really became in many ways, not every night or everywhere, but that really became my signature sound. That's what a lot of people called on me for. That's what Puffy was really drawn to me for. And everyone that came after, Jay, um, you know, J-Lo, um, you know, Naomi Campbell, Russell and Kimora. It wasn't like, oh, you play, um, you know, the records of the moment so well. 
Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I don't know. But it was how do you know that music? So it was really the music of that era um, that allowed me, um, you know, to gain the attention of people. Yeah. I, I, find, I find it very interesting, you know, as you say that, because I feel like you're like an encyclopedia to music. Um, I know, I mean, so when you grab a record, when you were young, going to the record store, going through the crates, pulling out records and stuff like that, you used to study or read who was on the instruments and stuff like that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, because, I mean, literally, I, the one thing that I noticed is the fact that, like, because, like, your albums um, that you put out, yeah. And the people, even like uh, Pastor Mike, you know, volume one, the R&B joint, you had Earth, Wind and & Fire in there. And you had, I forgot the young lady's name that you had on there. Saida uh, Garrett? With, with uh, she sang with Michael Jackson. Saida Garrett. Saida Garrett. I didn't know who that was. What? I promise I didn't. See, I shouldn't be saying she this. She wrote that in the mirror. And, and <laughs> when she sang, it was like, oh, snaps. But it was, you took certain people, guys on the bass. Uh, I mean, like, it was just like, wow. And you know, they, they pay the, the strings, the horn. I mean, it was like, I didn't know that stuff. Like, I just know who sings the song, who produced the song. And that's pretty much it. So I'll tell you how that came about. When I started to make my own records in 2013, I wanted to capture the sound of that music and try to bring it to young people. So I knew some of the musicians, but I'm not going to claim that I knew like every bass player on every record. I knew the artists. So the process at that time, like seven years ago when I started it, was I put all my favorite songs from that era in a list, and they all fell between uh, 1978 and 1982. So it was like, you know, Michael... Luther, Frankie Beverly, George Benson, Shalimar, Shaka. And so I said to myself, all right, if I'm going to produce a record that feels like this, I can't do it on a drum machine and a keyboard, even if I could really play the keyboard, which I can't, but even if I could. It's more than that. So I, so I researched who played on every song. And it was like the same musicians over and over. And so um, Earth, Wind & Fire was like to themselves and like Nile Rodgers mainly to themselves, but like everyone else was playing on everyone's records. And so I literally went after every one of the musicians. And so on the first few singles that I put out, Robin Thicke, Jesse J was the first, um, I had all these musicians playing. So Earth, Wind & Fire played on my first single ever. My first single ever was Calling All Hearts, Robin Thicke and Jesse J singing. And, and Verdine from Earth, Wind & Fire played bass. Philip Bailey played percussion. John Robinson from Rufus, as in Shaka Khan and Rufus, played drums. Um, Jerry Hay, who conducted all the horns and strings on Off the Wall, Thriller, Bad, and um, 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 essentially every record of that era, he did all my strings and horns. And, and Niall Rogers, <laughs> he played guitar. That was the only song that Niall and Earthwind have ever been on together. Right. That song. And so when I wanted to put Never Too Much, Luther, on Pass the Mic, I said, well, Luther's not here anymore. So I called Marcus Miller, who played the bass on the record, and when you see him, you realize that the bass was such a star of the song. You know, a lot of people never actually, um, um, you know, never actually saw that until you see it. And then you're like, oh, the whole song is this bass line. Right. And that's how I saw it. <clears throat> that's exactly how I saw it. So that's how that started, you know, with the musicians. And Saida, I was DJing an event for someone, like a corporate event. And she was performing. She was uh, singing at the... This was a couple years before that. And she became a friend, you know? I was like, oh my God, Saida Garrett, Man in the Mirror. And she actually helped me a lot. She 
she, when I was trying to meet all the musicians, she must have introduced me to half. So she's a real friend. And there was no track to show for it at that point. It was just like, you know, an idea. Is there any part of you that is disappointed or that the artists of today don't recognize the history and the musicianship of only a few years ago or even a decade or two ago? Or do you feel like this is the opportunity for you to be like the professor at hand and teach these kids as well as breathe new life into these legends? Well, you know, I'm not in a place to judge a 21 year old because when I was 21, I don't think I knew who played on any of the records. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was 30 when I started to really know who played on all the records and everyone has their path. And um, I didn't put together those records starting seven years ago, which continue until, um, 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 you know, which continue until um, um, today. I didn't put those records together as, as an educational tool. I really did it as a means to create something that I wanted to hear. And in the process, if I was able to educate people um, who had an interest or who had a genuine curiosity, that was a bonus. And I was very conscious of that at that time, you know. I didn't want to go about it um, with a mission to, to, to teach younger people. I wanted people to feel that music through the music that I was making. And if they were able to feel the same thing that I felt listening to those records, then that was how I was going to relay it. And who was ever interested, um, you know, could learn about it because I shot everything and I filmed everything. But, you know, I think musicianship is um, an interesting thing to talk about because one of my favorite records in the world of all time would have to be Sucker MCs. Wow. And Sucker MCs has nothing in it but a kick and a snare and a clap. So how can someone who preaches musicianship and does all I can to work with Earth, Wind & Fire and Nia Rogers, then go and say Sucker MCs is one of the greatest records ever made? And the answer is, is because the two can coexist. They don't have to be um, um, one or the other. Got you. So, um, hey, I'm, I'm the millennial of the group, so a lot of my questions are like of today and right now. Um, I want to know if there's any artists, I know you listen to a lot of, or you work with a lot of uh, artists back in the day. Is there any artists today that you would want to work with or who you like and who you listen to? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a never-ending list. <laughs> uh, Who's like your top, your favorite artist like of today that like you would want to work with or um, have to work with? Or that you love their music. I go on forever. I think when it comes to soul music and R&B music, I think the past five to ten years, but really the past five years, has really created kind of a R&B um, kind of um, renaissance in a sense. Mm -hmm. And you see it coming from people like The Weeknd to Frank Ocean, and now to artists like Her. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a real energy when it comes to soul music that there might not have been, um, you know, a few years prior. And I don't know what caused that, but I love it. Mm -hmm. And from an icon perspective, um, I love The Weeknd and, of course, I love Bruno Mars. Mm -hmm. um, and from a newer perspective, I love her. You know, I love... Um, I not only love her music and her voice, but I love her presence. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love the fact that she can stand on stage with a spotlight on her. And before she even does anything, you're feeling it. Yeah. Um, Amazing. And so, yeah, you know, I think when it comes to R&B, I think we're, um, you know, in a really kind of exciting time. And I think that young kids who, who um, didn't necessarily listen to soul music of any kind mm -hmm. three, four, five years ago are listening to it now. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think it's an exciting place for soul music. Amazing. Yeah, I'm a neo soul fan. So yeah, I'm right with you. Has it been a goal of yours to transform the perception of the DJ? Especially with this past the mic or, or some of the projects you've worked with, worked on? No, if I'm being honest, no. I don't think I um, have ever consciously wanted um, to transform the perception of the DJ, but I did want to do new things that were never done. And I guess one comes from the other. Right. But consciously, at the beginning, there was no conscious anything. I was just doing what I love, a little kid in a room, and it connected. Um, once it was connecting, I did thrive off of the idea of doing things that had not been done. And I didn't necessarily know what those things would be. I just liked that idea and looking up to run and to rustle. Um, Andre Harrell, my mentor before he passed a few months ago, um, you know, they all did things for the first time. They were all, you know, the first. And so that was exciting to me. So if there was any way to take part in that or do something for the first time, or even just to take part in the culture they created, you know, I mean, I really looked up to those guys and not only what Russell and Andre did, um, you know, with music, but just with culture. And from a New York City perspective, growing up and trying to do what I wanted to do, they were everything. They were like the um, um, arbiters of culture, the, you know, the tastemakers that were creating not only the records, but the fashion and the lifestyle and so I was lucky enough, you know, through time um, to not only be able to call them my friends, but really um, my uh, mentors. Um, and um, Andre will be very missed. He was, uh, um, you know, a very, um, very special person with, with a smile and a heart like no one. Putting aside all the amazing things he did in music. No, I, I agree. I think we both probably have a special relationship with Andre as I work with so many of the uptown artists because of him and because of Puff yeah. from the beginning. So I, I understand, you know, those feelings. Ron, you look like you had something you wanted to say. <laughs> look, man, listen, I, I, I'm hearing this story, man. I, I'm loving every man. I'm telling you, I love the two uh, uh, Pastor Mike's. I'm, I'm, I'm watching. I'm like, oh my God, man. He brought it back, man. And I love old school music, man. I feel like I'm an old soul. You know what I mean? I feel like I, I, I'm with you when you're saying, you know, playing that old school music, it gets to me, man. I don't know what it is. But, uh, but what do you think about hip hop now? What do you think of the state of hip hop right now? The new artists, what do you think about that? You know, they say, I read once, that the music that you listen to from sixth grade to 12th grade is the music that stays in your heart for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. oh. And for me, I think that holds true. Mm -hmm. um, is there new music that captures my heart and inspires me? Yes. Is it every record that comes out like it did when I was in the sixth grade? No. Is that because I'm no longer a kid? Maybe. Is it because I'm connecting to the music in a different way? Maybe. What, what keeps me grounded um, you know, to new music the most is that I travel the world and I play for people and I play in nightclubs all over the world. And I've never thought that being a DJ is playing what you love, never. I thought mm -hmm. it was, um, I thought my mission was to rock the party. If you could somehow play music you love in the midst of that, and create some kind of musical identity where you sound like yourself and you sound unique, that that would be great. But I know every new record because I have to know every new record. And um, when some of those records excite me, that's amazing. But when I was in sixth grade, you couldn't tell me there wasn't a record that came out that I didn't love. I loved every one. There was no discrimination. If a new album came out, it was in my yellow Sony Walkman. 
and that's what it was. If there was a signing at the local Tower Records, HMV, I was at HMV online on 86th Street in New York City. So, you know, I think with age, when you're not a child anymore, I think your connection to new music becomes different. I think you're more selective and you discriminate more and your taste has evolved and your nostalgia, you know, in a way affects you. Um, yeah, I think that's the best way I can explain it. We got DJ Cassidy in the building, hanging out inside the spin room. Hi, right, Cass. Now, you, like you said just a second ago, you've traveled all over the world. You've been pretty much everywhere. Um, have you ever been to a club or seen another DJ and you go, man, that I never thought about, you know, how he mixed that. I might have every to. Night. Every night. <laughs> even, even DJs that I don't think are killing it. There's always something. I could be, you know, at some corny hotel in a vacation spot that has like the DJ in the bar next to like the waterfall in the lobby. You know that type? Just like yeah. random. And, and I'm going to be like, oh, he played that. that right, was right. It really doesn't matter. I gave that example because it really happened. And <laughs> you don't have to be, I can't remember exactly where it was, but I feel like it's happened many times, you know, like some hotel in Hawaii, you know, like it doesn't, you don't have to be at the places that we consider the cool spots to be doing cool things. Right, right, right. And so really it's, you know, there's no such thing as a cool place. You know, the DJ and the people make it, make it fly. Right. And really if the dance floor is rocking, it's a cool place. Most and definitely. so, you know, I know I'm not giving you a specific answer because it happens almost every night. Almost any time I hear a DJ, I take out my phone and I write something down. That's dope. And I love the fact that you're a student and you orchestrate um, and then you also are a contributor to the culture also. That's one of the biggest things that, you know, I truly enjoy about you. So I just want to give you the props on that. Thank you. I appreciate it. But, you know, I really think I've always said this, like, I've always gone out to hear DJs and I've always written down notes, always. I can remember when I was 18, 19, I could only get into the clubs that I DJed at because I looked extremely young. <laughs> so what I would do on off nights is I would empty a crate of records so it was light. Instead of weighing 100 pounds, it would weigh five pounds. And I would go to the club I wanted to go at like two in the morning and I'd have the empty crate. So they thought that I was the closing DJ and they let me in. <laughs> so there we go. And it's then, so great. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's so crazy to hear you speak because the, I think the lifestyle of the dancer and the DJ are so parallel because we're the ones, I guess, that gauge for you whether a record hits or not and whatever you play, gauges to our soul how we dance how we battle and again i'll hustle into the club like the, the bodyguards would let me in even though i was underage because we kept the dance floor rocking and, and where did you grow up i'm from queens yeah that's what i thought of course <laughs> when you say hmv and all this other stuff and you know i'm right there with you and i grew up with like kid and play and herbie love bug and the jams in the park and the disco twins and all of that stuff so you know i get it. the roller skating era I'm, I'm all there is there any part of you like i'm still shocked and my mother is too that doing cartwheels in the house and my whole dance gymnastic career has taken me across the world is there and i've written in my journal just like you have taken notes since i was the age of 10. Is there any part of you that is shocked or surprised that you have played for, you know, President Obama and that you've done, you know, Jennifer Lopez's wedding and that you're playing in Ibiza in Spain and for these, you know, kings and the Sultan of Brunei or whoever? Is there any part of you that knows that this was part of your master plan or are you still shocked at all the blessings that keep coming? Uh, the latter. There, <laughs> there is not a molecule in my body that finds 
any of what I've done to be normal. And I can tell you that in all the things you just named, the, the things that are most surreal to me and most exciting is when Run calls me on Wednesday night and says, I'm proud of you. There is That's dope. Absolutely there, dope. There is nothing else. And I'm not saying that because we're here to talk about the other night. That, uh, that, that Wednesday night when I, um, um, when I premiered Pass the Mic 2 was, I want to say, the greatest night of my life because the conversations I've had since have just been the most surreal, most, um, you know, not normal, not of this world conversations of my life. I mean, LL invited me on his Instagram after, mm -hmm. and we talked for 20 minutes. And I thought, you know, it was like in association with his company, Rock the Bells, and they were promoting it a little, and we um, you know, had a few things we did for the site. So, okay, he was doing a live to promote it, and it was great. I signed on. He was so genuinely excited. That's dope. I kind of lost it. And if you watch the video, and I posted it, it's on his and mine. You can see me. I'm not saying this to sound, um, uh, you know, to sound... Um, over dramatic, you can kind of almost see me crying because I really didn't know what to say. And my girlfriend came home that night. She watched it from somewhere else because we wanted to keep all the Wi-Fi for the shows. <laughs> she wasn't allowed to use the Wi-Fi. And she walked in and she's like, it's the first time I really saw you speechless. Like you really were, she's like, I saw you trying to think of something good to say, but 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 you were so taken back and i was because his genuine excitement for what i did was just like crazy to me because there's no there's nothing this i've said for the past few days but i want to say it again there was nothing normal about that to me you know what i mean like there's nothing normal about 35 of the greatest hip-hop icons of all time like doing a project for me all together and like shouting me out and like rock him being like Cassidy, make him clap to this. Is <laughs> that was like, sick. Like that was sick. Not, like don't think for one split second that I find that to be normal. <laughs> so, so Cassidy, let's since you since we're talking about uh, past the mic, uh, past the mic one, past the mic two is out right now. Uh, you guys can see it on YouTube. It's also on DJ Cassidy's social media platform at DJ Cassidy, so you guys can check it out. Um, if you can break down for me, how did you come up with the concept of doing this? So I was FaceTiming with Verdeen White. We've discussed him now several times, but that you know makes sense because he's such you know he's such a part of my life for the past seven years. I met him when I was recording that first song. I reached out to Earthwind's manager and they took part and he and I became very close. He's like, you know, he's like a mentor figure to me. So this was in the heat of the quarantine. Remember like in April and May when like no one was leaving the house, you were like scared to take out the garbage that you would right. touch the germ, like that era. By the way, I'm still like that, but, but, but this was like, heat of the quarantine and we were facetiming just to say hi and that's the way the world came on and that song you know gives me all kind of emotions anyway on a normal day but the world was in flux um everyone was in their homes alone or feeling alone and seeing him and his face is just always like joy to me and hearing the song the whole idea came to me. And it was exactly what you said, Les. It was like my relationships with my heroes, like how fortunate am I to be able to be on the phone 
with Verdine White of Earth, Wind & Fire when his song comes on. Like, that's a crazy feeling. And be like, oh, Verdine, your song's on. <laughs> and literally, we were like this, but instead of on the computer, it was on a phone, right? So I'm on my phone, and the Sonos comes on, and he's just on his couch, and I'm like, Verdine, listen. Hot fire, create love, desire. And I said, yo, I need to do this. We're going to do this, and I'm going to do it with like 20 other people. How did you do it though? Like, you know, the delay and stuff. I was like, how did he sync this up so perfectly? It was so amazing. Thank you. Um, I, I started calling people, mm -hmm. you know, first the people whom I knew. There were some people I didn't know. Um, 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 Ray Parker Jr. I know well, and he introduced me to Cheryl Lynn. Um, she is such a beautiful Paul player. Jackson Jr., who's a guitar player, played on PYT. If you listen to the beginning, that bah, 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 that's him. Mm -hmm. But he played on tons of things. And he's still playing on things. He played on The Weeknd, I Feel It Coming. He yep. played on Get Lucky. Um, he introduced me to um, R. Mm -hmm. I feel like he introduced me to someone else, too. So. Um, you know, there was, there was a few people that I got introduced to, but really, you know, there was no video to show for it. There was no example. There was no exhibit A. So I had to call people I knew because the idea was going to sound crazy. Like, will you Zoom with me and sing along to a song? Right. right. Through the microphone of a computer. Right. So I needed people who, like, you know, knew me and had some faith that I wasn't going to, you know, make them look whack. And... Um, and so I just started calling. And so, it, you know, it came together. And past the mic one took a long time, not because it took a long time, but because, like, there was no pressure. It was like, oh, two people this week, two next week, whatever. Like, there was no reason. There was no goal. There was no, you know, deadline. Whereas past the mic two, I was like, okay, people felt this. There's a demand. People want another. And then I didn't leave my house for 21 days. Wow. That was not wow. really 28. But the first 21, I don't think I walked out the door. Wow. Because there were 36 people. I mean, you was man. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now. The Kid in Play, the Rod Kim, the Grand Pooba, the Big Daddy You better stop it. Salt and Pepper. <laughs> Wait a minute, Les, you mentioned Kid in Play. Let me tell you about Kid in Play. So first, with volume two, I started with the people um, who I knew well. Mm -hmm. So I called Greg Nice. He's a friend. Called him first. Called Smooth B. Called Premier. Called um, Vinny and Tretch. Mm -hmm. um, I know Run and D, but, like, I didn't want to call them first. I, like, had to have a list of people. I, like, you know, just in case they were going to ask. Right. I didn't quite call them at the beginning. Um, LL2, I did not call at the beginning. But, so I started calling people, and where was I going with this? Okay, so Kid and Play, I did not know. And actually, Chill Will, mm -hmm. who's Dougie Fresh's DJ, high school friend, and is a great guy, he loved Volume 1. And I've known Will for a while, but through Dougie. And I asked will to connect me to one person and will actually really helped connecting me to all the people whom i didn't know in fact mc search introduced me to one or two people greg nice introduced me to one or two people and sure will kind of did the rest but at least you know 50 to 75 percent of the people i knew and i called them first so kid and play i didn't know so i got on the phone with each and i told them what i wanted to do and I'll tell you why watching them is one of my highlights, although I can't really pick a highlight, but I'll just tell you why I love watching them. Because their chemistry, and let me remind you, I don't want to give away too many of my, you know, tech secrets. They didn't do it together. Mm -hmm. You probably assume that. Of course. <laughs> if, you, if you know the backstory, then yeah. Right. So, I'm going to say no, I hope. So I didn't Zoom with them together. So, I kind of told that was separate. I kind of felt that. So when Kid 
is like starting his rap and plays looking like this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yo, it's like, number one, you remember, oh, they're actors, you know, because they're really doing it. And I didn't realize when I was doing it. Because when I'm doing it, I'm like, you know, I'm like the tech and I'm like the key grip. And, and you know, like I'm, <laughs> so I'm not even paying attention. I just want to get through it without the Wi-Fi going out. And I'm like, okay, it's good. We're going, let's go. Three takes. And, and watching them, you can like feel their chemistry and they just jump off the screen. And I mean, look, I could tell you a story about all 36 people, but I'm saying just, it was cool because I didn't know them. And we connected right away and they loved the idea and they watched the first one and, and just watching it back, I was like, yo, they were really talking to each other and they weren't on with each other and they just killed it. They just knew what to do with each other. Their chemistry is so ingrained in them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Outside of you doing this and getting all of the accolades and the praise for putting on a, uh, a phenomenal performance and TV time, has it impacted you on how you have made each one of us across the globe really feel like you have turned our mental health into a moment of hope and possibility and happiness. Like you really have transformed each one of us while we are stuck in the house in a way that sure we're seeing all these other DJs do great stuff, but literally past the mic is just something else that has been, um, I don't know, medical and, you know what I mean, what I'm saying? Therapeutic. Very way? therapeutic. Therapeutic, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, you're making me emotional. I mean that. <laughs> and uh, I don't think that has quite hit me. I'm, I'm still in the phase of being in awe that my heroes actually enjoyed what we did and that they were happy to be a part. And... I called all 36 people. I've spoken to most. There were a few I haven't been able to connect with yet, but I will tomorrow, I'm sure. And literally hearing their genuine excitement and hearing that they were proud of it was like, has been just occupying so much of my emotion. You know, I've been like waking up at 7 a.m. Like I don't wake up at seven, like I sleep, you know, to like at least 10, like. Like roadie days. So late. <laughs> I'm like going to bed at four or five and waking up at seven or eight because I'm genuinely excited. And, and um, uh, that's incredible to hear what you've said. And no, I don't, that has not hit that my two little videos have, I mean, I understand it's made people smile and, and, and um, you know, feel uplifted by, you know, by the video when they're watching it and, but no, what you said, the depth of what you said of how it's really made people happy and kind of turned the frown upside down, I don't think that has really completely uh, um, settled in. That song, Last Night a DJ Saved My Life, rings truer than ever with volume one and volume two of Pass the Mic. And I'm getting a little emotional because I know how I felt each time that I watched it, like that I'm texting everybody and I'm calling everybody and I'm DMing and I'm sending them the link. And I'm just like, how do you, and I don't even know if this is a goal to try and top it. What do you do for volume three? I was, I was going, I was going to ask, I was, can I put my, can I put mine in? Can we go nineties, nineties R and B? Like I'm just throwing my, I was going to say, I want R and B. I want R and B too. Man. I'm going to show no reaction right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, man, I just did 21 days. I want to just, just hey, I, I, I want to say you something. No, I think I know what volume three is. I'm just, I'm just showing no reaction because I don't want to. Hey, Give it away. Hey, come on. Hey, come on, Cassidy. The poker face right now. The smile is a poker face. Come listen, on, Cassidy. Listen. You're on the spin room. Come on, give up the goods. Listen up, Cassidy. Give us a hint. To be honest, I'm not. I'm not even sure yet. But but uh, I might start recruiting Monday morning. We'll see. Okay. Okay. We'll let's be on the lookout. Hey, I got something I want to say, man. As a DJ, man, and I'm telling you, and just I'm piggybacking off what Les said, man. As a DJ, man, seeing those two, I'm telling you, I, it it brought back memories. It brought back, man. 
it, it, it hit home. I, I mean, it, that passed the mic, man. I'm not going to front. It, 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 it made me feel good. I've never, ever, man, just sat there and was smiling and just, just smiling like all. It was felt good. It was good, you know, feel good music, man. I, I really love it, man. I appreciate it. And thank you for that, man. I, that, that made me feel good. It means good. a lot coming from you, a DJ. It really does. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Hey, so Cassidy, um, before we get up out of here, um, I do want to talk to you because, you know, you're staple. One of your signature things is sitting on top of your head right now, man. Uh, the boat hat. Um, yeah. Let everybody know who does not know you. How did this come about? There's no interesting story here. I started experimenting wearing fedoras in my, like, you know, mid-20s or late-20s exactly. <laughs> but you were very fly. And... Um, you know, just to do something new with my style and my fashion. It was distinguished. And, you know, you got to understand, I give credit. Actually, I give credit. Um, I give credit for the boater hat, even though they didn't wear a boater hat, to Run DMC and to Michael Jackson, because it was their hats that made me, you know, understand why hats were so fly. And so when you think of Run DMC, you think of the hat and the chain and the glasses. And when you think of Michael Jackson... He didn't always have a hat on, but you think of a hat a lot. You know, Motown 25, Billie Jean, the hat. Yeah. And so, you know, they made the hat cool. So I was in my hat store um, in New York City at the time on 32nd and 5th. That's where I used to get my hats. And um, I saw the boater hat, and it was like, it just felt very, like, classic to me. And it, it, it... it was like something that I thought that I could maybe like reinterpret, um, you know, something old that I could try to, um, you know, to put my spin on. And so I bought one and then that just stuck. And I increased the brim size over the years. Now they're made for me because you can't actually find the three inch brim. So I had to have that made. The crazy thing is, since you asked, you know, felt hats made of felt or fur. Right. Those are custom made all the time. A lot of the artists you see wearing hats, they're made by a few people. There's a few in LA, a few in New York. Straw, this kind of straw that's like a brick. Mm-hmm. There's only one man in Florence, Italy that has the machine to make this boater hat. Wow. On, this hat, on a standard boater hat, there are three layers of cork here. And anything that flops is basically a fake boater. Right. Oh. So when I asked my store, how do I make the brim bigger? It's not like their guy can make this hat. So this guy who I've never met in Florence, you place an order and he sends them when he wants. It's not like they'll be there in two months. It's like you might not get them. Or you <laughs> might get them in a year. And they're never the right size. They're like too small or too big and you're patting them, but you'll take what you can get. Right. And I don't know what happens when he dies because I get the impression he's old. Right. Is there a son that knows how to use the machine? Because I'm getting worried. (laughs) Your fashion style and stilo is so dope. Like I have never seen whether it's just a DJ or even a man to make pink and yellow look so sexy and so fly and so debonair. I'm like, I love this. I want to say something. Before we go, I started off by saying it. I don't know if we were on air yet or not. I think we were, but I want to say it again. But Les, you know, watching Rap City and Yo! MTV Raps, can I shout them out too in the same sentence? Of course. So you, Joe Claire, Prince DeJour, Donnie Simpson, um, you know, Ed Lover, Dr. Dre, Fab Five Freddy. Ed Lover reposted past the mic too. And I've known Ed for a while, but like, I felt the same way. Like Ed Lover reposted, you know, my video. And after volume one, I DM'd volume one to Freddie. Mm-hmm. And I know Freddie, but not like well. And he hit me right back. And I called him. Just because it was a good excuse just to try to call <laughs> Fab Five Freddy, you know? And so I called him and like, yo, I mean, let's just talk about Freddy for a second. Oh, like, if you watch Wild Style, like what this guy did Man. 
we talk about Russell, right? right? Russell and Freddie did around a similar time in like bridging gaps, you know? And Freddie, I mean, I don't know if this is word for word true. I think it is, but like introducing Basquiat to Debbie Harry and like Warhol to Grandmaster Flash, like who does that? You know what I mean? Like who like brought Flash and and you know crazy legs to a party with you know blondie and and basquiat and like he did that at age like 22 and really had the foresight to be like okay graffiti could be in a gallery in soho flash could dj downtown you know what i mean and russell you know and i'm sure there were you know um i'm sure there was um you know a a kind of um you know crew of other people in that um you know creativity um in the world of creativity that they were in but anyway so i wanted to say to you les you guys all the hosts of these shows that was my childhood you know that that was um you know without rap city and yo mtv raps video soul like where was i gonna see these videos oh i forgot about ralph mcdaniels Video music box. Don't, don't let me finish this conversation and not say that. Of course. And the box. But there was no host on the box, right? It was just like and a your dollar. Hey, and yeah. you, 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 what, put your money up. Like channel 66, <laughs> at least where I lived. I remember when Wu-Tang came out with Cream, it would be on 20 times. It was Man. like the worst. Man, but, yes. But but anyway, like, you know, the hosts, you know, there were not many. You know, I just counted three. Three on Rhapsody? Was it three mainly? Or? It was a lot of us. Chris Thomas, Prime. Was the three that I mentioned, was that like an era or? It was. We were like, we were mostly the 90s because uh, Chris Thomas started, he was the first one and he started like early 90s. And then Prime came in between and then it was... Again, it was Dejour, myself, Joe, and then Tigger came after. Tigger was towards like 98. Yeah, yeah, he was later. Yeah, because yeah. I was already like in high school. So, you know, um, and he posted it too. Tigger also posted it. And so to see you guys like embracing what I did, that's why the second I saw, you know, the second I saw you on um, Instagram, I was like, yeah, like I was looking forward to this because. Um, if you really think about it, right, where did I fall in love with those rappers? Mm -hmm. Hot 97, 98.7, Kiss. Right. Um, but you fall in love with people by seeing them, I think. You know, that's what changed, you know, in the 80s. You got to see artists. You know, um, early 80s didn't have that. And, you know, the early rappers didn't get that. But starting in the mid-80s, you know, that's where I got to see everyone and to want to dress like them and... I mean, I watched you guys every day, you know? And so to have you, Tigger, Ed, Freddie, watch what I did, it's really, I'm happy we're speaking because it made me realize it really is, it really is kind of a tribute, um, you know, to you guys and the shows that you guys hosted because that's what created the love affair with those artists, being able to see them see them rap live, see the videos, want to dress like them, want to be like them. So thank you and thank everyone I named for having those incredible shows because there were many. <laughs> rap City, Young TV Raps, um, you know, Video Music Box, like that's all I remember. Yeah, D Barnes, Pump It Up. Uh, yep. Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. Congratulations, amazing, thank you. And so you guys were, you know, you created that. You allowed the world to, you know, to see everyone. Well, and thank so you. I was really excited to talk to you. Yay. Well, I'm so excited. I got my pom poms in the air, some cartwheels. I'm like, happy to have some Pee Wee. I was like, Pee Wee, hit me back. <laughs> yes, she was. Fanning out. Like, but I think that's just, you know, artists recognize artists. And when mm -hmm. you get chills and the hairs on your skin stand up because of somebody's creativity <laughs> and genius. Um, and vision, then you just embrace it, you know, and you have to celebrate it. And I just want to celebrate you. So thank you for all that you're doing and continue to do. Thank and we you, can see brother. What's yeah. next? What's next? 
Hey, DJ Cassidy. Thank you for having me. This was amazing. Really, it was. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be a part, and I'm just so excited by the enthusiasm that you have. Really, thank you. I DJ Cassidy, before you get out of here, um, we got to play this game real quick. Okay. Uh, it's called Would You Rather? Uh-oh. Okay. Don't put <laughs> too much on the spot. Yeah. Would you rather? Before we get up out of here, uh, DJ Cassidy. Since you are a DJ to the stars, would you rather DJ for the rest of your life, the Obamas or the Carters? <laughs> Don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess you have to choose the president. J and V, forgive me. I guess it's the president, you know, it's the president. That's probably the toughest question you could ask. I think J and B would want me to say the Obamas. <laughs> I think they would. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, would you rather stop time or travel back in time? Ah, oh, travel back in time for sure. I'd want to be 20 years old in 1988. Woo! That's dope. Uh, would you rather uh, run with the bulls or swim with the sharks? Um, <laughs> swim with the sharks? <laughs> yeah, they're not going to bite him if he ain't bleeding, so he good. <laughs> swim with the sharks. What else? What else All right, last one. Last one, DJ Cassidy. Would you rather go on tour with Run DMC or Eric B and Rakim? I mean, this is almost as, as, as bad as your first question. <laughs> Look, Look, I have man. to say Run DMC, you know, they're just, they're my heroes from day one. Yeah. Dope. 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 We love you, Cassie. Thank you for everything, seriously. And Thank we can't wait. This was amazing, really. I love you guys. Thank you so much. We Man. can't wait for the movie, your biopic. We can't wait for the book. The biopic. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. I know. A few more decades before, before a biopic. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you guys very much for rocking with the Spin Room crew. Uh, thank you to DJ Cassidy, our special guest, hanging out with us, talking about, you know, his life uh, from the beginning and to the future, man. We, we, we wish you nothing but continued blessings for Big Les, DJ Ron C, J Tasha. I'm your man, Big Pee Wee. We are the Spin Room. You guys have a good one. Peace. Bye, guys.